Heavenly Father, we thank you that in both the Old and the New Testaments we see your call to social action in response to the great love that you have for your people. And so we pray for Matthew this morning as he speaks to us from these passages, that you would give him your words to say to us today in our time and place, and that we would have the ears and the minds and the hearts to hear what you have to say to us and to respond. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, can I add my welcome to uh, Linda's, um, especially if you're new with us the first time this morning. Please stay for caffeine. And please do take Linda and Nigel up on that offer of cake and tea down at their place. They'll happily give you directions after the service. Um, also welcome to Listen Again, people, um, because we're, we're a bit few on number this morning, so um, we'll hopefully have a lot of people listening again um, during the course of the week. You're really welcome and you're not forgotten. And we welcome back various people from various parts of the world uh, this week. Uh, Linda welcomed John back from the first service, but we'll, we'll welcome him back again. The Martins are back as a family. Um, but we are mindful of the members of our family who are around the world at the moment. And Ken and Sekai are out in Africa at this time, where there's various troubles in, in that region. So we keep um, all members of our church family in our prayers. Well, today we, um, we conclude our Sunday series, Exploring Vision, and what it means for us as a church, and what the next chapter of our life might look like uh, together. Lee, can you move me on to the first slide of the PowerPoint presentation, please? Um, and we've just been exploring over the course of June what vision might look like for us as a church. And we started with vision in the wilderness, and we recognized the hope of, a gospel, of the gospel for a world looking for something, whatever that something might be. In our second week, Linda shared with us what a healthy church, church community looks like and unpacked the significance of the parable of the mustard seed and we were reminded, perhaps even challenged, that the church doesn't exist for its own benefit, but for God's glory and the benefit of those around us. And then I went on to explore with you how Jesus was intentional about mission and how his reputation spread first throughout um, the Jewish territories, but then into Gentile territories as well. And it spread through that marriage of proclamation teaching and acts of healing. Then Beth came and spoke to us about a culture of invitation. She reminded us of our up, in and out uh, values and our gospel values as a church. We saw that powerful um, video um, with Jackie and Gerald and the coffee shop team, which has already, by the way, just to give you an encouragement, that video has already resulted in another volunteer being trained up in this last week alone. So it's already bearing exciting fruit. Um, and it's online for those of you who want to watch it again. And Beth talked about the kingdom of God as a place where God's vision and, and values and power hold sway. And we were invited to look at questions like, what is the invitation we offer? Who does the inviting? And I know so many of you have been enjoying the small group sessions, and I'm thrilled that they're continuing to, to go on and on as you, some of you are doing one page at a time. And my friends, that's absolutely fine. You take as much time as you want because it's the discussions that we're really keen for you to have. 
And this morning, we start another thread of our vision exercise, and and I'm seeing some envelopes around. Um, If you haven't got one, we can give them to you on the way out. You should have a questionnaire in an envelope. Um, And this is really important, my friends. This is is at the center of the vision exercise, because our our goal, if you like, is to emerge from this process with an idea of where God is calling us as a whole church family. And we recognize that actually there are people who aren't in small groups and who, for whatever reason, work commitments, social commitments, other family commitments, can only make it on a Sunday. And we really want to hear your perspective as much as those who we see several times a week. And this questionnaire is your way of of doing that and your voice being heard. So I can't understate the importance of these being completed. Um, So we're going to give you a sort of three-week window um, to get these back to us. But, I mean, of course, if you can do it um, and get it back to us, um, as as soon as you've had a chance to reflect, that would be fantastic. Um, So please see that more as an obligation than something that's that's optional, if I can be teacher-like for a second. And today we conclude our Sunday series on vision by thinking about social action. And I want to start by showing you a picture. And I came across this picture um, only yesterday in my Twitter feed. But it spoke to me and it kind of captured most of what I want to say this morning about social action and how it becomes part of our vision as a church. For those of you who are listening again online, the slides are available on the vision page of our website. And the quote is from Mahatma Gandhi. There are people in the world so hungry that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. There are people in the world so hungry that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. And these words, this quote from Gandhi, is in a sense at the heart of what it is to be a church that helps people to encounter God's transforming love in Christ When you're hungry, when you're overwhelmed by debt, when life is dealing you a few blows and you're despairing, it becomes difficult to find God anywhere other than your point of need. And this should be a part of reflection as we go through this vision exercise about how we as a church meet people with the love of Christ at their point of need. It goes back to what I started to say two Sundays ago about being intentional in mission. Its um, it, it mission becomes authentic, becomes real uh, when we get alongside people where they're at. And I use the expression that mission is messy because it invo- involves encountering real people in real life situations. And as much as there are textbooks and resources and guidelines and so on, we kind of have to work it out to some degree as we go along. So we're going to go back in time this morning into the history books. And we're going to look at two figures in history who've had a profound impact on the spread of the church in this country and and foundational to social action, Christian social action. And so we're traveling back to the 18th century to an Anglican cleric who started the Methodist movement and was instrumental in the evangelical revival across the 18th and 19th centuries. Your starter for 10 this morning. Who was that Anglican cleric? Sorry? John Wesley. Well done, Kath. John Wesley. And we know from Wesley's journal that in May 1738, he went to a meeting in Aldersgate, London, And he heard the letter to the Romans being unpacked. 
And he wrote of that night, and by the way, John Wesley went to this meeting, an unwilling participant in it, um, but he wrote in his journal, about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And responding to Christ began a journey in John Wesley that took him approximately 250,000 miles um, on horseback, preaching the gospel and forming new Christian communities. Do you want a second go at a question? Here we go. John Wesley started these small Christian communities across the UK, and there's a special name given um, to the people who joined them. Um, I, I wonder if you want to build on your earlier success. They were called enthusiasts. Um, the, these members of Wesley's uh, planted communities were called enthusiasts. And the Methodist movement spread through these groups. So moving on 50 years from that meeting which moved Wesley so much, we come to January 1786 and another London cleric, John Newton, previously a slave trader um, whose conversion to the Christian faith inspired the hymn Amazing Grace. And to John Newton came a rising political star of the age, a young member of parliament called William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce had become a Christian through the influence and discipleship of his friends and through people like Wesley. And to, and to William Wilberforce, a rising member of parliament, Life and, its perspective, and his perspective on life had changed because of his Christian faith. And so he came to Wesley, uh, to, sorry, to Newton, um, to say, what should life look like uh, for me now? Uh, many of you will know that Wilberforce's chief goal and accomplishment, it, um, inspired by his Christian faith, was to bring about reformation to the slave trade. In fact, one quote which I find particularly challenging by Wilberforce was spoken after presenting um, the, um, the, the act which led to the abolition of the slave trade for three hours on the floor of the House of Commons. And after speaking for three hours, a feat in itself, um, uh, Wilberforce said these words, Having heard all of this, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you did not know. Having heard all of this, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you did not know. And what a quote, what a challenge. And the words are piercing. In words that might echo for us the account of the man robbed at the roadside on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, which you'll find in, in Luke chapter 10. And the passers-by who observed this man mugged and left for dead beside the road and yet turned away and continued on their own journeys. And I'm aware that Wilberforce has left an enormous legacy which we stand in as we meet to discuss social action today. But of course we're also prayerful because we know that slavery has not ended, that there's, there's modern expressions 
of slavery in, in our world, and particularly sexual exploitation of, of various people, um, it, it's, it's still a really prevalent issue in our time as well. So we better turn to the scriptures and, um, and to Luke chapter 4, uh, read to us by Lee. Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's handed a scroll containing words from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And these words read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus, anointed by the Spirit, fulfills the earlier words of the prophet as he stands in a synagogue and reads these words. And we know that the good news that the scripture refers to, that Jesus fulfills, is the message of the gospel of Christ, of forgiveness of sins, eternal life, purposeful, transformational life. And in this sharing of good news, Jesus places the poor at the top of the list. The good news, to be good news as God's people, to share God's big love story. And I don't know if you noticed, but Beth was asking us all sorts of questions last week, but one of them remained as a sort of constant refrain at the bottom of most of the slides that she, she put up. And, it, and there was a question, and it asked this. Could this mean something for Camborne? And there's a similar and related question that comes out of this passage from Luke this morning. What does the year of the Lord's favour actually look like? And to find out, we need to go back um, uh, towards the start of the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus and chapter 25. I'm going to put some verses on the screen, but um, the rest of the chapter for context you'll need to look up. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land. I've lost my place now. There we are. To all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. And this year of Jubilee was significant in the life of the people of Israel, especially for the poor and those who found themselves in slavery. And in some translations of the scriptures, you'll find the term indentured, that those Israelites who were taken into slavery um, and were classed as indentured Israelites. Every 50 years, there was to be a year of restoration where lost land would be returned to its original owners and those who had been taken into a life of slavery could be freed and returned to their families and communities. Restoration was built into the fabric of society. And the prophet Isaiah, in our reading this morning, attempts to teach people uh, about true holiness when all he saw around him were religious practices such as sacrifice and fasting, when those same religious people were not concerned about the poor, the homeless, the oppressed, and victims of injustice. 
And Isaiah prophesies that when the prayers of the people come from a place where they're involved in this work of moral, that is, you know, our character as people, but also societal transformation and challenging issues that we see in society, then God will hear and listen to the prayers of his people. And there are various aspects coming out of these scriptures that we've been exploring this morning. And I want to go through four with you briefly. First, the move from religion to faith. We've just witnessed it in Isaiah. Religious practices such as fasting and sacrifice, however faithfully observed, without an accompanying concern for poverty, oppression and injustice, is not sufficient. We, we looked um, when I last spoke to you about that marriage between proclamation, teaching and healing as being essential to hold together, otherwise we lose what it is to be um, a kingdom people. And so when we divorce religious practice from the living out of our faith in a concern for all people, we lose what it is to have our life centered on Jesus Christ, on being connected into the heart of God for his people and for us. Second, there's a move from the institutional to the missional. In Leviticus, we saw that every 50 years, there's this cycle of restoration. There's this year of jubilee where people can return to their land and their communities and be freed from slavery. But of course, it was a society that was built on these structures of property and slavery. And so every 50 years, these structures were, were significantly affected um, by, by this year of jubilee. And yet people were freed and people were repatriated uh, with their land uh, and became part of their communities again. We're called to be a people, a missional people, rather than an institutional people. And then thirdly, um, to, to, we are to share God's big love with our community. And how do we do this? Well, we do this through evangelism. Um, and, and, and evangelism motivated by compassion for people. We know God's love in our own lives. Julie was talking about it in the interview, her experience of how God has impacted her life and an awareness of the need for God's mercy and love. And we know that. And in a sense, the biggest act of compassion we have for the world around us, the biggest act of mercy, is to share the truth of the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, because we believe that he is the hope of our lives and the hope for others. And finally, as in the year of Jubilee, as with the prophecy of Isaiah, and as with the words of Jesus in the synagogue, we are called and commissioned to make a difference to our society, to help those affected by structures that lead to oppression and poverty and acts of injustice. So we are called to live by faith. We're called to be a missional people. We're called to share the good news of God's love and reveal it through being agents of his kingdom. This is what the year of the Lord's favor looks like. Social action, you see, is a prophetic uh, journey of speaking and acting into situations of injustice and oppression that break the heart of God. And you may be aware, uh, and in fact Julie started hinting uh, at it, that um, one of our home groups was involved in a Christmas uh, food hamper project. 
And we asked the Children's Centre to provide the names of 11 families who might welcome a food hamper at Christmas. And we were promptly given those names very readily. But what was revealing was the situations being faced by people receiving those hampers. One house um, had no carpets on the floor. It was just the concrete uh, block. And it occurred to me that because Camborne's such a new community, the, sort of, the housing stock, if you like, is, is very well maintained. It all looks very new. And you can walk down a street with nicely painted front doors and, uh, and brand new houses. And we can be oblivious, can't we, to the needs behind those closed doors. Um, and yet behind those closed doors will be issues of poverty, issues of food poverty, There'll be people who are being crippled by situations that they feel overwhelmed by and can't face on their own. There'll be people who feel socially isolated and don't know where to turn. In fact, that was one of the brilliant stories that came out of the, um, the 19 um, coffee shop video and the life of 19 was that people find fellowship and a place where they can just be. But we don't see it, do we? Because we walk down and we see the closed doors and we don't know the situations behind them. So you might want to take away with you this morning as you go from this place and you walk past um, closed doors on whatever route takes you home. You might want to start praying for the life of people in those homes, in those houses. And just, you know, trust in those families, those people to God. And just asking that God would work in whatever life situations they are facing but also that God would just reveal and grant you discernment as we continue to go through this vision process, that he would reveal to us the sort of needs that are being faced by people in Campbell so that we can sow into those situations and reveal God's love as a church community. We are called to be good news. One of the family workers at the children's centre gave us some feedback on the families who had received the food hampers. And and one quote um, particularly grabbed me. As I said the other day, one of my families was very positive and thankful for the parcel. They had been overwhelmed by the generosity and very thankful that their cupboards were full of food at a time of year when money is tight. The five-year-old daughter had been incredibly excited and impressed as well. And there are so many exciting opportunities, and and this is perhaps why we we, we threaded prayer at the foundation of this vision exercise, because there's so much that we could do, but what we really want to listen out for is what God is calling us to focus in on. But there are exciting stories throughout the United Kingdom of projects that have changed the life of communities. And do you know, when you total up the amount of time that the church invests in social action projects, it it amounts to something like 250,000 hours. We're we're talking about that scale of investment. And as we watch um, local authority cutbacks and, and services being cut back, history is turning full circle again. Whereas, you know, welfare, healthcare, and education started uh, with the Christian church, so it seems to be coming back full circle. And the Christian church is often the only voice in a community with the capacity to reach out and share this life-transforming love. 
This, my friends, is where it becomes real, where starting with faith, hearts and minds focused on Christ, we become agents of his kingdom and his transforming love. I've said it before, but I'll probably say it a fair few times again. We are the church of God. We are the body of Christ. We were bought at an incredible cost through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We are not a purposeless people. We were bought at a cost for an opportunity that is incredible. To be God's agents, to sow into people's lives the hope that the gospel brings, to partner with Jesus in his work of transforming society and our community here in Campbell. Amen.